Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome in to a special episode 50 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, what is going on today? We got uh, something a little different and exciting happening here. Yeah, we're uh, recording in person for the first time in several months, and we have two people in the room with us. Uh, recording in person. Uh, we've got Braden Ursel from the PP1 podcast and Sean Warren from the Area 51 podcast. Guys, how's it going? Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, beautiful day here in Vancouver. Just moved down for school. Thanks for having me on. This is going to be great. I'm doing awesome. It was it was actually nice and easy to get here once I realized Braden was right behind me on the SkyTrain, so <laughs> I just kind of stalked him on the way back. Stalker alert. So it was great. <laughs> well guys thanks for joining us this is it's worked out really well it's uh it's episode 50 it's a long weekend sean just happens to be in town Braden, you've just moved to town doug well you know i, I see you all the time as, as it is anyways but still it's nice to see you in person for a change and we've been recording socially distant for five months or so so it's nice to have people in the room lots to talk about lots to unpack about the season it was a up and down roller coaster week for the Canucks as we know there's emotions are high I've still got lots of feelings before we get all into it let's find out guys what what do you guys have going on Sean what's happening in your world right now uh I mean aside from like Canucks army and the area 51 hockey podcast that's kind of it for me uh so now it's just kind of ramping up into off-season mode which I mean, I'm a little bit bittersweet about, like, I love doing off-season stuff, but I was really looking forward to and hoping that we'd have third-round content to, to talk about. Uh, I would have loved to go in on Vancouver and Dallas, uh, kind of the old ownership battle there. So it is what it is. We'll switch gears, go into off-season mode. So that's pretty much it for, for me on my end. Braden, what's going on? Yeah, like I said, I just moved down to uh, to Burnaby for BCIT. Going to be joining the uh, broadcast and online journalism program there for two years. Um, but I'm still writing at the Canuck Way um, as the site expert there. And I actually just jumped on with Nux Misconduct as well. I'm supposed to pump out my first article sometime this week, so look for that. But other than that, yeah, I'm just here for school. And, you know, it's too bad the Canuck season's over. Um, Doug, we got, uh, what do we got going on over here? Anything new and exciting? Uh, well, we did our fantasy football draft last night. Uh, I'm trying to uh, defend the championship belt that I won last year. And uh, yeah, I look forward to crushing you week one. Wow, geez. I, 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 was, I was talking more Canucks stuff. But uh, hey, if you want to jump right into that, well, we'll see. Yes, week one, Doug, it, it's you and me. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. You can follow me at Pete underscore gas. Give me a follow at Doug Venn. And you can follow me. On Twitter at BKUrsel23. Uh, you can follow me at West 234 And we have the Spotify account as well going with all our outro tracks. That is on Spotify. Just search for the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. All the funky jams go on there. Really good listening. And there'll be another good one that we'll upload after this episode. So, guys, we talked about no third round. No playing Dallas in the third round, which would have been... A hell of a lot of fun and ironically Dallas was who I was hoping that we would meet in the first round of, mm-hmm. of the postseason and, and here they are I think the last time the Canucks played Dallas was back in uh, 94 which uh, the Shane Churla elbow by Pavel Bure I think that was the last time oh, man. We'll, we'll have to imagine and, and pretend <laughs> um, 
But you know, let's. Uh, Wasn't the Luongo uh, P break game against Dallas actually the like oh, you're right. four overtime? I game? forgot. I was at Just, that game too. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. long one. Yes, you are right. correct. I, I that actually one was, the Luongo bathroom break was Anaheim, but they did go what four overtimes? That's right. Uh, with Dallas and Sede- Henrik Sedin scored. Uh, that was what one of uh, fourth like overtime, fourth longest was, yeah. game, Luongo's or fifth first longest playoff game. win. So I was at yeah. that game, and uh, they stopped serving beer at that one at about nine thirty. And the game, <laughs> and we got out of there at twelve forty-five. And you had this; it was game one as well. You had this really pumped up, excited crowd. And as the game went on, you just had this slowly hungover, sleepy crowd oh, going on. Uh, four overtime games are, are pretty tough slog in, in person. Um, Let's uh, let's let's talk about the week that was and the season that was. And I, I mean, there's there's lots to get into moving forward. But let's take a little bit look back. Braden, what do you think is your biggest takeaway from this past season? Ooh, um, I don't know about my biggest takeaway because there's there's a bunch of takeaways. Obviously, I wrote a list of them on my Facebook page, just the things to be proud of. Um, but obviously, you know, Quinn Hughes was remarkable uh better than we ever thought he would be and he just he seemed to be a kind of guy that would break records on a nightly basis um and he did it again in the playoffs with uh the most points for a rookie defenseman thank god that uh Kale McCarr is out now because he can't beat that (laughs) uh but if I had to pick one I'll, I'll go with Quinn Hughes and how you know how amazing he was on defense for this team he's clearly the best defenseman this franchise has ever had in 50 years uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's amazing how in one season we could already say that he's the best defenseman we've ever had. We've never had a defenseman like that. Sean, same question to you. Uh, biggest takeaway from this past season? I, I'm going to go kind of off the board with this one. And I'm a big marketing guy. I like when teams put a lot of focus in on how they're presenting their content or their product to to fans. And being that this was the 50th anniversary season, I... I mean, A-plus across the board for me as far as what the Canucks were able to do just from an entertainment standpoint. Uh, Not only did you get this kind of bonus playoff run and you can market the future of this franchise, but like you look at the throwback nights from the 70s night, the 80s night, the 90s night, 2000s night. How nice was it to see Todd Bertuzzi back in Orca colors coming out? Uh, I mean, the Sedin retirement night, Burroughs night, like there was so many really special moments and it doesn't feel like that was all this season just because of how weird this year was. feels like that happened two seasons ago, but uh, from a marketing standpoint, I mean, what a slam dunk for the organization. And Ryan Kessler as well, the cheer that he got there. I thought that was something that I was, I was really curious to see how the fans would react. There was a lot of radio buzz leading up to that. But yeah, that's a great point. The way the team really kind of branded uh, their, their 50th year, I thought that was, um, that, that re- they really did do a good job. And for a guy who's been following the Canucks since the 80s, it's, uh, it, was, it was nice to see them hit a lot of the feels along the way. Doug, yourself, what's your biggest takeaway? I know you're a big Hughes fan. I know you and I have been to a lot of the games this year and saw some of the ones that Sean mentioned there. What, what is your biggest takeaway? Honestly, for me, one of the biggest takeaways of the year is watching Travis Green slowly progress into arguably one of the top five coaches in the league, in my opinion. 
Um, now, I know some people might criticize the early back-to-back in the Vegas series. He probably should have started Demko uh, instead of having Markstrom play both those back-to-back games. But I just thought Travis Green, especially in this you know return-to-play, play-in, postseason play, he really, to me, demonstrated that he is a, a coach that is willing to change strategies, willing to change his lineups. Uh, one of the biggest criticisms of the Willie Desjardins era in Vancouver was he was so stubborn. He never wanted to change his lineup. He was going to roll Lyndon Vay and, uh, you know, all those guys, uh, Michael Chaput, and just roll four lines every game. And I, I really am impressed with Travis Green. I do think he's a guy that is very honest with his players. And he never really criticizes them in the media, which at times I would get frustrated. I'm like, the Canucks played like shit tonight, and you still aren't saying, hey, we need to be better. But you know behind the scenes and behind closed doors that he's saying, hey, you need to be better. And yeah, for me, Travis Green, uh, he really proved to me that he is uh, the future coach, and he deserves an extension. And I also think on the coaching staff, Manny Malhotra is another guy who I think deserves a ton of credit. And that, for me, is one of the biggest takeaways this season is the emergence of Bo Horvat. And that ties in nicely with what you said, Sean, as well, about the 50th season, bringing in a a new captain as well. Um, Bo Horvat becoming just a leader, a very strong face-off man. The whole team was very strong on face-offs. It became one of their strengths this year as was blocking shots. I mean, it's a skilled team, but it was a real buy-in philosophy. We know that next year's team isn't going to look the same as this year's team. But for me, that was one of the the bigger takeaways that that I took from, especially down the stretch and once we returned to play. Um, Braden, Bo Horvat, how how impressed were you with him and what he took his game to as the playoffs went on? Well, yeah, just for the playoffs, um, he... He was he was solid. He was, he was especially solid in the in the St. Louis series. Obviously, he had kind of like a Ryan Kessler twenty eleven vibe to him against Nashville. Um, and I believe he was the goal leader. Um, I don't know if he's still the goal leader in the NHL playoffs, but he had ten goals, I believe. Um, but he, obviously, he was just for his first year as captain. Uh, he exceeded my expectations. He was a, a monster on the faceoff circle. Um, but, uh, I mean, there were, there were also times where I, I, th- I thought we could have seen more from him, especially in the Vegas series. Um, I kind of wanted more bite from him. I mean, um, I mean like, he's, he's good on the faceoffs. He's good at scoring goals. But I just I needed him to be a little more physical and a little more fight back, kind of like how JT Miller was playing. I think JT Miller was what Bo Horvat needed to be. But, I mean, all in all, like, completely successful season for, for Bo Horvat, and I'm really happy for him. Do you guys think, and this is whoever wants to take this one, but – the Canucks, five games and seven nights down the stretch against a big, heavy team. We know that some guys like JT Miller and Tyler Toffoli, there, there, was some, there was definitely some injuries on there. Do you think that the Canucks just kind of ran out of gas towards the end there? Yeah, I do. I, I think like that schedule is just absurd, right? And then you, you take into consideration, too, that they didn't get a break between the St. Louis series, which was another big, physical, fast series, jumping into that one uh like this bubble playoffs is a different animal altogether and uh this is something that i was saying early on when the bubble was just kind of a concept and people wanted to make it like the asterix cup or the covid cup and this is actually probably the hardest cup to win uh in france and like history that i can remember um like you've taken a like aside the travel and all that type of stuff, which actually works out really nice for Vancouver, especially. But like to have the, the condensed schedule, to be secluded like that, 
it's it's a totally different beast and i think that you had probably the most even starting out point um of all time because every team got to get healthy have a training camp and prepare specifically for their their playoff run and we've just never seen anything like that before uh, I, I think there was a lot that went into just the Canucks running out of steam, um, especially against Vegas, who's so deep. Like, uh, you look at, like, Alex Tuck, right? Like, Alex Tuck could have played on our first line, and he's a third-line guy for Vegas. And that's just grotesque amounts of riches uh, for one team. And that's that's a big, big gap for from Vancouver to Vegas, but... I mean, I give credit to Travis Green a ton for being able to overachieve with a group, to be honest. Like, this team was not supposed to take Vegas to seven games. <laughs> it's just not. Doug, do you think it was overachieving as well? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it was weird. Going into game seven, I just wasn't nervous. Normally, I'd be, like, anxious all day. My palms would be sweaty. And I wasn't anxious because I felt like, you know what, regardless of what happens tonight, I'm super proud of the team. And it's house money we're playing with. Like Sean said, we shouldn't have gotten Vegas to Game 7, but we did. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, the one thing that the bubble did, and I completely agree with you, Sean, that this is probably going to be one of the hardest cups to ever win, just with the condensed schedule and that. But I think the one thing we saw with the Canucks group is they really bonded being in that bubble together, and they really kind of came together as a team. Not that, you know, you're not bonding and you're close outside of that bubble, but I think they really embraced the bubble life together, and they really, you know, I mean, you saw those post-game videos when they beat St. Louis, and Travis Green comes in, and he's like, turn the music down. And he's, you know, two things, and he says what he says, and he's like, all right, turn the music back up. You just love that. And, you know, obviously, uh, Tanev scoring the series-winning goal against the Wild. You just saw how close this team was together and I think being in that bubble made them even closer you could see that for sure and I think this was something that with the mix of the young guys and the veteran players it was it all just kind of came together I think I like to think that the young core really learned a lot from this and I mean Pedersen and Hughes played way above their weight class in their their first postseason I think that certainly gives a lot of hope towards the future just with what what they've done in the postseason we've seen that now we've seen that from Demko as well you know Gaudet was was up and down a bit Vertanen was up and down uh, we even got a peak of Ole Olevi in there as well so this is the building block I mean even teams like Chicago LA Washington and St. Louis they didn't start and win the cup in their first year that's really really hard to do this is really the beginning of of the Canucks window opening wouldn't you say yeah I mean completely for sure um just like you said, Pedersen and Hughes, uh, they blew expectations out of the water. Me, personally, I was a little nervous about Pedersen. I don't know if it's just, you know, with the Sedins and the, the Swedes, but uh, being a guy that's 175 pounds, you know, you know he's going to be the target. He doesn't have a twin to pass the puck to. But, um, you know, he, he was amazing. I led the Canucks in scoring. I think he was tied for second in scoring by the end of it in the whole NHL. Um, and Quinn Hughes as well. I mean... Um, you know, he was fresh and he was confident in himself all year and he stuck to that. Um, like I said earlier, he was just breaking records. And it's it's almost a shame that, uh, you know, we didn't have enough support around those guys to to get the job done. And kind of back to, you know, playing five five games in seven days was just, you know, once we saw that reschedule, it was, it was going to be tough to get through that. But, like, I'm super proud of what they've done and I just can't believe that we're going to have these two stars in our lineup for for quite some time. 
And I think these two stars as well, I think they're likable two stars. I think we've, we've seen around the league that there, I think there's a different impression of this Canucks team. And I think Petey is, is right at the forefront is uh, I think you, you mentioned 175 pounds. He's a, looks a bit lanky out there and we're worried about him getting banged up mm-hmm. every game. He improved and was, was better. And do you think Sean, that there's, there's a different impression around the league or a different thought process when people talk about the Canucks and there has been over the last 10 years or so. Oh, I think it's huge. Like I, I always find it funny, like every year that there's, if there's the last Canadian team in the playoffs, they become Canada's team. Right? No way. And, Boo. And it's, <laughs> I, I, yeah, exactly. Like, I think it's a big joke, but the Canucks have never really truly been Canada's team until this year. Right. And, it was the first team or iteration of this team that other Canadians kind of liked, right? Like even going back to the Sedin era, like we had so many people that were so hated on our roster for those runs that nobody liked those teams. As much as the Sedins were likable, Kessler, Burroughs, Lapierre, like those guys were hated. And so it was like us against the entire world, it felt like. Whereas this time, like... It just had that different feel. Like the Canucks were better respected, I think, nationwide. Um, people talking about how special this team is going forward. There's no jokes about like, you know, this guy's too small, this guy's too shrimpy. Like, aside from Vegas's really elementary chirps, like, like somebody's got to actually teach those guys how to chirp. <laughs> but uh, like, aside from that, really, there was nothing that was actually believed that these these guys can't get the job done. And I, out of this run, I think that's been one of my biggest takeaways is I genuinely believe this core will win a cup. Um, and it doesn't feel like a matter of if, it, it feels like a matter of when. And that's such a unique feeling as a Canuck fan to have like, okay, well, if everything falls into place just so, maybe they have a chance. Whereas it feels like this is almost an inevitability that this Canucks group will win a cup. And you're right. I think the pieces are there. You have that puck moving elite defenseman. You need that. You have goaltending, whoever it is moving forward. I know we'll talk about that more later. You have the elite center in Pedersen. You have the steady leadership centerman in, in Bo Horvat. You got wingers in Besser. And you got more help on the way too with some of the kids coming up and i'm going to throw this one out there a bit early to everyone but is there with these kids coming up we know we have a few in the wings who do you think next year could actually make that jump and be an impact on this team um i'm not all for hoglander making the team next year um like after all he is a second round pick and i don't know his game too much other than you know his his wraparound goal he's done a couple times uh, but, I mean, we could get our hands on Vasily Podkolzin by March or April, depending on when the KHL season's over. And, you know, he's got a lot of comparisons to guys like Mark Messier. He's just an absolute workhorse. Um, so I'm excited to see what he can do. Like, but like I said, we're not going to see him till March or April. But if I had to put my money on, like, a young player kind of stepping in and making an impact, he'd be my pick. I'm really excited about a lot of the, the guys coming up. And I think with this cap crunch we're going to see a lot of the youth graduate to the Canucks roster really soon right and I mean I think Jack Rathbone was promised a a spot um, and that's how they got him to sign Um, so I I fully expect to see Jack Rathbone on the left side Uh, I if 
if Rafferty is not on the team next year, he's going to be pissed. Like he did everything that you could ever ask for a guy to to do to make the team. So I fully expect him to make it as well. It's going to be a young group on the blue line next year. Um, I agree. I don't see Hoaglander making the team next year. I think he's got at least one more year before he makes that jump. But Pod Colson, I can almost guarantee, will be in as soon as the KHL season's done. Um, yeah, I agree with all those takes. The other guy that I think could make an impact on the team next year, and he could theoretically take over Jake Vertanen's spot, which is a conversation I definitely want to unpack with you guys a bit later, is Cole Lind. Uh, Cole Lind, I thought, had a really good year in Utica. And then even in the... He played, I think, in one of the preseason games against Winnipeg, and Colin actually had, what, a two- or three-point night that night? And I, he's not a guy that is going to come in and, you know, score 20 goals on your bottom six, but he actually has a physical edge, which I didn't even realize uh, until actually after the Canucks had drafted him and kind of following his career path after that. And he's a guy that I think down in Utica uh, had a really good year last year, and he could potentially, him or even a Zach McEwen, uh, could fill in that role of a guy what you thought Jake Vertanen would be bringing to this team that, unfortunately, he really didn't. Uh, so, yeah, Cole Lind would be a guy that I think could, you know, be fighting for a spot next year. I just want to mention one more player as well. Um... You're talking about Rathbone making the uh, the third third pairing there, but I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens between him and Ole Olevi. Uh, they're both left-handed shots, I believe, uh, left-hand sides. So uh, I liked what I saw from him. Like obviously, we only got like six six and a half minutes from him in that was it a St. Louis or Minnesota game? Minnesota. Yeah, and uh, you know he didn't make any mistakes, and that was the the main part. Um, and he's had a lot of time to to heal up completely and. The experience he gained, obviously, in the bubble is going to help him moving forward. Um, so I, I would really love to see Yolevi, you know, make this team next season. Uh, you took my thunder there, Braden. I was going to say Yolevi as well. Um, but you're, you're right, though. It is a crowded left side. The blue line in general is interesting right now because we have three defensemen who are free agents. Um, Oscar Fantenberg, as much as I like the guy, the left side is really crowded right now. He's going to get a raise uh, after his performance. I think we're probably going to lose Fantenberg. The right side, though, you've got Tanev and Stetcher, uh, and that creates a couple of holes there. But the left side looks really crowded, especially when you, we mentioned Ulevi and Rathbone coming up. So open question, guys. What's the Canucks blue line going to look like next year? I mean, it's going to look a lot different, that's for sure. Uh, I honestly... Like, as much as everybody wants Tanev back, uh, Stetcher back, I think you got to walk. You got, there's a lot of really big decisions that the Canucks have to make because they're log-jammed at every position this year, right? Um, and that's just a matter of, like, that's good, right? Like, that's a, just a matter of a lot of the prospects are ready to graduate or on the cusp of that. But then we also have all these veterans that are blockading that. So... You have to find a way to now turn over that leaf and let these kids come in, but not do so in a way that now you're going to have this deep recession next year from what you achieved this year, right? And uh, it's going to be interesting for the blue line as far as what happens, mostly on the left side because of Yolevi and Rathbone. That's why I, I mentioned earlier, I think they promised Rathbone a spot when they signed him. Um, which adds that extra wrinkle because you already have Edler under contract for one more year there. You have Hughes there, so those two guys aren't going anywhere. Uh, so now it's just a battle of for the sixth spot, 
are maybe a seventh spot on on that blue line. Uh, I think we see a, a pretty much a complete revamp of the right side. Um, I don't want to see Tanev back, which might be a hot take, but to me, he's declining. Uh, as much as I love Tanev, I just you can't you can't continue to invest in depreciating assets and. Tanev's going to make good money somewhere. Uh, honestly, I could see him going to Toronto. Um, I just don't see it be happening here. If there was going to be a defenseman on the right side that I would be very interested in bringing back, it'd be Stetcher. Um, but I would want him in kind of that third pairing role, not in the top six. He's just not ready for that. Or top four, sorry. Not ready for that. Are you concerned uh, how well Hughes and Tanev played with each other this year that Hughes could maybe take a step back or not have that same kind of freedom that he had offensively, having that steady defensive partner in Tanev? That's a great question. I, I honestly think, like, looking at their stats, my impression there was that Hughes actually made Tanev look better. Um, so I, I honestly think if you can find a younger, somewhat defensive-minded uh, defenseman to pair with Hughes that hasn't lost a step like Tanev has and can keep up, you actually end up seeing a better Quinn Hughes out of that, which, I mean, there's a long list of guys that they could go after. Unfortunately, not a lot in free agency. Uh, if I'll throw one name out there. If Dylan DeMello is available, you grab Dylan DeMello. Um, I just don't see Winnipeg letting him go, so Gudis is my guy. Um, I, I think he's able to bring that physical edge as well. Um, I, I think we end up seeing a better Hughes, one with more experience. And if you pull up just a younger defenseman with more of a step to his game, I, I think we end up seeing a, a totally different, more dynamic, if if you would believe it, Quinn Hughes. Yeah, I don't really, I don't really know if Quinn Hughes can get worse like it seems like he just gets better and better every game he plays I don't think it's going to matter too much who his who his partner is next season um but for me it's almost like I wish I wish it was Edler who had the expiring contract and not Tanev me too um, I love the pairing of those two and I, I would hate to see this team without Tanev I mean I mean I mean I know this season he played 69 games all of them he played every game this year uh, until he got hurt in that final game but it still counts and that's the first time he's ever done that. So, I mean, you got to remember that, you know, he's probably going to get hurt. He's in, like, the top five, top three for block shots every single year. Like, he loves eating pucks. It's what he does. But that comes with injuries. And, you know, I think he's I think he's 30 now or, or close yeah, to it. So 30. you're not really sure how much you're going to get out of him. Um, I would love to see them sign him, obviously. But, like, it's just this offseason is going to be – there's so many different pathways that Benning can take with it. Like, what does he sign Markstrom first? I don't know. Does he go after? Does he sign Toffoli? Does he make you know re-signing Tanov one of his priorities? I don't really know. And you know, I'm glad I'm not the GM that has to figure it out either. You have Tanov 4.45 million cap hit this year at 30 years old. Stetcher 2.325. He is an RFA at 26, which means his qualifying offer that the Canucks would need to extend is 2.325, which it's kind of a similar boat as the Ben Hutton thing. I obviously, I think Stetcher get a lot more value than a guy like Ben Hutton. Um, I, I personally, I think it's worth extending a qualifying offer to Stetcher just because right now the, the right side, it's, it's Tyler Myers. And, and after that, you kind of got Chatfield and Rafferty as the other it's guys a scary thought. in there. <laughs> 
I, I do think teams like I always look at Carolina as like they are really stacked on D and there's already been talk about Pesci being moved or mm. uh, Hayden Flurry as well as another guy. Uh, Bean as well. I, I I think Bean is young enough though. They're probably wanting to move one of those guys like a Pesci or Hayden Flurry to get Bean in the lineup. I would assume. Um, so I I do think there potentially is a trade there. I've heard, and again, who knows? It's all speculation. Uh, that you know, Carolina, you know, seems like it would be a good fit for a guy like Vertanen. You know, yeah. he seems like he's a guy that could actually probably fit in with their kind of style of play there. And so I don't know if there's a a trade to be made with Vertanen plus and probably plus for that to happen. And then obviously, depending on who you're getting back, you have to look at the numbers, right? doesn't make sense financially for the Canucks to add a player making five plus million dollars. You know, when you're walking away from a guy like Tanev and you've got to make a decision on Markey and Toffoli. One position uh, that is an advantage for the Canucks, the Canucks are in a unique spot where they can actually take on defensemen right now and protect them from Seattle. There's a lot of teams that can't. Caroline is a great example of that as well, who are in danger of of losing a good defenseman, kind of akin to what the Ducks went through back with Vegas. The Canucks right now, they only have one defenseman they need to protect right now, I believe, if that even. I think they're they're wide open right now with who what they can do back there. So the Canucks can take on defensemen right now, uh, puts them in a, an interesting position, which is good because they have a lot of forwards that are going to be there, there's going to be some juggling up there too. So. Using a guy like Vertanen for a defenseman, I'd love to see something like that as well. Um, you mentioned earlier as well, someone uh, mentioned the uh, the UFAs, and the Canucks have four UFAs right now. Well, technically, there, there's six UFAs, but there was four that were playing actively down the stretch. Um, who comes back from the, this UFA field? you got Tyler Toffoli, Chris Tanev, Oscar Fantenberg, Jacob Markstrom, Louis Domingue, and Josh Levo. Who comes back, if anyone? Uh, Toffoli and Levo. That's it. As far as I'm concerned, uh, Levo, like how much we needed him in that Vegas series, uh, like that was brutal. If if we had Levo, I think that that changes a lot there. Uh, Toffoli fit in so well. Uh, the price that they paid to acquire him uh, to me is not a uh, a rental price, honestly. And the Canucks aren't really at the stage where they should be in the rental market and that was my only real gripe with that trade uh if they lock into foley long term i'm ha- i'm content with the trade i to me there's no way that they can properly afford markstrom and improve that's the big thing right is everybody's like well you could still fit all these pieces and, and keep everybody yeah but where's the improvement right like we've seen what this team can do we're, we got to continue taking steps forward. If we're just re-signing our team, we're actually just going backwards. So um, for me, those are the two guys, and that's it. I do think Benning and the Canucks are in a bit of a tight spot next year because I agree, and I, I really like Thatcher Demko, and I do think he is the future number one goalie of this team. But because of a condensed schedule next year, there's going to be a lot of back-to-backs. You need two good goalies. We saw Montreal just acquire Jake Allen, and at first everyone kind of scratched their head being like, this doesn't make sense. But when you look at what the schedule is theoretically going to look like next year and the back-to-back games, I don't know if Demko is ready to take that on. And I don't know if Louis Deming is the proper backup goalie to kind of bear the load. Oh, no, I absolutely agree. And I think that that's exactly the mindset that they should have. 
for me though this year is such a like a unicorn of a year where there's so many goalies flooding the market that you have the opportunity opportunity to walk away from markstrom and not actually regress and for me like two names that come to mind right away are kudobin uh, out of dallas and thomas grice out of the out of the island and for me like those guys are going to come at such a lower cap hit they're good. I mean, they're obviously good. They're still in the playoffs, carrying their teams there, respectively. Uh, Kudobin, especially. Grice has been kind of tandeming with Varlamov. But both are used to being in tandems. And I think that would be a really smart way to go with Demko, is get him more games, but don't overload him in the workhorse style that we're used to seeing Markstrom take on. The, the big thing, though, like if you if you re-sign Markstrom, what happens to Demko, right? Demko feels he's ready right now to be a, uh, at least in a tandem or as a starting role. Are, do you have to trade that guy now? And he's 24 years old, bright future ahead of him. We're all excited about what he did against Vegas. Are, if you're trading him now in favor of keeping the 30-year-old goaltender that honestly has just kind of come into his own in the last year and a half, what does that say? Like, what does that say about your future? I I, I agree, but I, if you could, and I know goalies don't have that same trade value, but if you could trade Demko plus maybe a Vertanen and get a good young right side defenseman that this team really is going to need heading into next year, is that a bigger upgrade to the depth chart than going with Demko and signing a legitimate backup like a Grice or a Kudobin, you know, is it better to parlay that? And are you still going to get three, four good years out of Markstrom? I don't know. It could be. I think, like, sorry to cut you off there, Pete, but I, I think with the, how the the goalie market is this year, I feel like goalie values are diminishing, right? Like, who's to say that a team would want to part with a first-round pick or their top right-handed defenseman in order to get Demko and somebody like Vertanen, who's kind of hit or miss, when they could just go out in free agency and get Braden Holby? You, right? did, you didn't cut me off. You just said what I was going to say anyways, yeah. which is um, I feel this is a weird year for goalies, especially with Seattle coming up as well. Yard Pittsburgh is already open about making trades. Nashville is another one. And, it's, and there's quite a few teams like that. Demko does have a lot of value right now, but I, I'm not sure we can get as much as we'd like for him. Um, I, th I think Markstrom as well. Like I would like to see Markstrom come back myself, but it's it's got to be a no trade, no move clause on there and a hometown discount. And that combination doesn't usually happen, right? Like if you could get Marky for a two year deal, four and a half per with without putting a no trade or no movement, that's great. But is he going to do that? He's 30 years old. And all it's going to take is one team coming up over. And I'm looking at teams in Alberta right now who are saying, hey, you know what? Seven million, three years, Marky, no trade, no move. Here you go. And that's it. And then now we're, we're going back to looking, okay, Demko is now the future. The decision has been made for us. Who comes in in a backup role? But the Canucks do have 5.1 million coming off the books between Markstrom and Deming that they can now apply to a second goalie. It's just, it's really crazy to me how much the narrative can change in three hockey games. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Demko supporter. Uh, it goes back to, you know, two years ago. I've always kind of thought that he fits the, the team's cup window, if you want to call it that, a lot better than Markstrom does. Like, Markstrom's 30 years old. Um, but I, I still believe that the betting is going to want to sign 
Markstrom. It's just it's just a question of if he can do it. Um, so I mean, I'd love to see I'd love to see them walk away from him or try to get something from him. But at the same time, you could also you know get Markstrom signed and then kind of give that Demko and Markstrom idea one more year to try to figure out who you want to go with the following year after that. The last thing you want to do is 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 see like one of them go to 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 Seattle. So, I mean, it's just all up in the air, and I'm not really sure what Benning's going to do. Yeah, you don't want to lose them to your new geographical rival, right? And and you just know Seattle's going to be good, right? Same expansion rules as Vegas. You don't want to give them now your future goaltender, the guy that you've been preaching to your fans is the guy for the future that you're grooming for that role and then to just lose him to Seattle and see him become what he should become there would just be such a kick in the nuts like uh if I'm Edmonton to your point I'm I'm blank check Markstrom like you've seen what he could do now you got world beater in net and you got McDavid and Dreisaitl up front like and yeah, then you got a young blue line coming up. Edmonton just became scary overnight with one acquisition. Yeah, that's like pretty much what the Canucks have now on steroids. I mean, yeah. you got <laughs> right. the two, what, number one and two points leaders in the league this year with, just you know, points. in my opinion, a top three goaltender in net. Uh, they just need a defenseman, and they're they're lining up for Stanley Cups. Yeah, it's, uh, that's that's my concern with Markstrom, is that someone's going to come over the top and with the Canucks not dangling a no-trade or no-move because they're going to want to protect Demko if they keep him around, then that's where things are going to get tricky. Uh, you mentioned Seattle as well. They do have the, the same rules as Vegas. I like to think that GMs are a bit smarter. I was going through some of the trades that people made, <laughs> and, I mean, as specifically Florida and Anaheim, and uh, I just it's just real head-scratchers there. So I like to think that they won't get the same kind of handouts, but Seattle will be good, and when you're paying uh, half a billion dollars right off the bat, they deserve to be good. I, if I'm spending that kind of money, I want to be competitive. I remember when the Sharks came into the league back in the early 90s, and I think they won like eight games or something, or nine <laughs> games. They just they weren't good. So I think I think that's uh, that's something, though, that we're, we're going to lose a good player. It, it's You only lose one player, right? So you just set yourself up for that. Uh, Josh Levo, I'm glad that you mentioned him. Um, he makes the winger situation really crowded. I've always been a big Josh Levo fan. He was pacing for over 40 points this year before he got injured really like his style of play um i would like to see him back as well great i just want to add to that like are you guys worried or concerned at all that it's been i believe it's been 10 months now and he's missed hockey like is that any concern like i thought i thought for sure he would be a part of our our cup run here but to hear that he wasn't even ready to play or practice or anything like that i mean a shattered kneecap i don't i don't know anything about injuries too much but the fact that he hasn't played in 10 months is a little scary to me. If if I'm Benning, I use that as negotiation leverage, right? Like he's a UFA. You don't have to deal with anything like qualifying offers, anything like that. So you, you say, hey, you know what? We'll bet on you two years, but you're going to sign for like a mil, mil and a half. That's it. There's no anything further than that. And then you can kind of show us in that that you're good to go, that your knee's good, and we'll kind of take it from there at that point yeah levo's in uh, very much a, a prove me contract he's made one and a half last year i think it'll be about about the same um he's a guy i'd like to see back but that then creates a lot more not 
Well, problems, situations uh, on the wing with all our RFAs. I mean, we mentioned Stetcher on the blue line, but up front there's Jake, Mott, Gods, and Zach. And that's four guys who play pretty much in the bottom six for the most part. Uh, we talked a bit about Jake Vertanen. Let, let's just get into him right now. Has Jake Vertanen played his last game as a Canuck? I certainly hope so. Uh, honestly, like, Jake Vertanen is not who we think he is, people. And again, I'm not saying anyone in this room thinks he is who we think he is, but there's a large group of fans out there who think Jake Vertanen is the next Todd Bertuzzi or the next Cam Neely. He's not. Jake Vertanen, time after time after time, comes into camp, comes into the team out of shape. Travis Green, the one thing he really seems to pride his players on being is in shape and being game ready, and that is not Vertanen. I, I don't think he gives you much. I really don't. He he doesn't play that physical style that you want him to play. He makes one back check, and all of Canucks Twitter's shit in the bed going crazy. Oh, did you see the back check Jake Vertanen did? Like, Vertanen, to me, he's got to go. And I, I, he's just he's not a guy that's going to make or break this team, but there's still some value in him that you need to parlay him into something else, something to add to this team going forward. Jake isn't that. I don't think Green really likes Jake. So I agree completely. Jake for Tan. People need to get it out of their head. that This guy is a power forward. He is so not a power forward. It's not even funny. And I think we need to forget about World Junior Jake. World Junior Jake was a long time ago. And that's not coming back. And honestly, he wasn't that impressive in the World Juniors either. Like, if if you're an overager, you should dominate that tournament if you're on that team. And he didn't dominate that. He was just physical. And I think like what the things that we're looking for and hoping Jake will be, we can get at way lower prices. And so like if you're just kind of looking at it purely from a financial cap hit perspective, Jake Vertanen brings you like 60 cents on the dollar compared to what you'd be able to go and get in free agency like there are a lot of Tyler Mott type of players out there that would be fantastic to give an opportunity to I would sign four Tyler Mott's before I'd even consider calling Jake for Tannen Jeez, I'd like, have a team of Tyler Mott's if I could, right? man. I mean, <laughs> like, Tyler Mott for me is a no-brainer. I, I mean, in my opinion, you qualify all those guys because even the qualifying offer for Vertanen isn't very much. It'd be about $1.3 So I think uh, Vertanen, McEwen, Mott, and Gaudet all get qualified uh, regardless. Um, Stetcher is the one where the higher price tag is the one there could be a debate for uh, for not. crazy. But <laughs> I, I think with the right side, I think you at least qualify him. Uh, for Tannen, I mean, 18 goals in a regular season. We've all heard this to death. Brian Burke preaches it all the time. Um, two goals in the playoffs. He had two goals in 16 games. He did suit up in 16 games. But I think, you know, I've, I've long been a supporter of Jake. He was you know, trending upwards stat-wise. But there were so many times in the playoffs where you're like, why didn't he finish that hit? Or where was that speed? Or what was that stupid penalty you took behind the play? And I I think with, uh, I'm a huge Zach McEwen fan. I think you get more uh, out of a guy like Zach McEwen. I think he finishes his hits. I think he's a fantastic skater. I've been, uh, I've been championing this guy for a couple of years. So I think he's pushing him out. And I think with Pod Colson coming up, I think it really pushes a guy like Jake Vertanen out. If there's any way you can do Vertanen and plus to, I know we keep saying Carolina, but for me that's a, that's a great fit. But to anyone for a young right D, I, I think you take it. Montreal's another one. 
that I think would take a take a chance on Vertanen. That's a small team. And if you can add a guy with Vertanen's size, and I mean, we could sell high on Jake right now, right? The guy got 20 goals this year, right? And and that's not taken lightly. Like, he hasn't really gotten a shot in the top six. Um, teams are good. This is the thing that I, that I love is people will say his trade value is very low. But we, we got to remember ho- how arrogant hockey men are. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we got to remember that they will look at the physical attributes that Jake Vertanen possesses and they'll be like, I can make that guy work. Well, and Doug, I know you've said this uh, a lot in the past as well, but a change of scenery might do Jake well. We, we could see Jake go to another team and put up 25 goals and Canucks Twitter would be erupting for years about what we should have done with with Jake Vertanen. But playing in the in your home bubble uh, is as well. It's it's it may not bring out the best in Jake. He could really on a professional level, it could be the thing that kind of takes him to the next level. Would you say? Yeah, I, I, I think Jake gets caught up with his friends and, you know, that kind of like friend group entourage, the worst crew ever, (laughs) the worst crew ever. Nice. Uh, there was that one year when he was, he, he was putting videos up on his Instagram, uh, training with that Pavel dude at Barber, that's it, in North Van. And that year, Jake looked good. He came to training camp. He looked good. He looked like he was ready to go. That was the one year I actually gave Jake credit for actually trying to improve his career, uh, you know, on the offseason as an NHLer. You look at Bo Horvat, the perfect example of a guy who improved his skating, started, uh, hired a skating coach, and he became, you know, one of the better skaters, not the best, but he's a really good skater on the Canucks because he wants to constantly improve and get better. Jake doesn't have that drive. Outside of that one year he trained with Pavel Barber, he doesn't have that drive. And I think a lot of it is just being in Vancouver, living out in Abbotsford, you know, he just he's 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 a big fish in a small pound out there and everyone knows him and everyone loves him. And I think getting outside of that and having to be accountable and not be the hometown guy that, you know, you walk down the street and everybody is like, hey Jake, how's it going, buddy? I, I think that would do him good. I definitely think he needs a change of scenery. And I don't know what it is. Maybe, you know, Green isn't able to motivate him or whatever, but he just doesn't seem motivated to want to come into to the Canucks training camps in shape. And, you know, this is two years plus now. Yeah, I mean, he's been given every chance time and time again. And he's really had all the support around him that you could ever ask for. Um like you said, he's he's from the area. He's from Vancouver, um, which is which is big. I mean, Troy Stetcher seems to like do well with that. Um, but I mean, he's also playing with really quality players that want to be better every day. Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, Brock Besser, Horvat, you know, Demko, all, Markstrom. All these guys they come to the rink because they want to be superstars. And if you can't if you can't succeed and get better playing with guys like that, then there's a problem. And he's had what six years now to prove himself in Vancouver, and he had a good good season, but up and down. And I just he's had enough chances now. And it's time to move on. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't I don't think there's any more time for Jake Vertanen. and we're done. This is it. Like I said, I think he gets qualified, but I, I also don't think he'll be back. And I, I think it's just a, there's a log jam, and especially if we do bring a guy like Josh Levo back and with Pod Colson hopefully joining the team towards the end of last year, the wings are crowded. It's uh, it's a, it's a very crowded, deep forward group. Um, and that kind of leads me into my next question, uh, whoever wants to take this first. Uh, one other aspect or one tool that Benning does have to get a little bit out of this 
cap hell is the buyout method. And do you guys see the Canucks using a buyout on any of their players this year? No, I don't. I like if they were to buy out anybody, and I don't believe they will. My pick would be Myers, uh, just because of the contract size and the term left. It would help you get out of a ton of uh, future cap issues. Obviously, they're not going to do that. Uh, my next pick would be Beagle because of the term. I like Beagle, um, but he's just paid way too much for what he does. Uh, I don't see them using it. And to me, this is where there's like this hidden value to what the Canucks just did in a playoff run is that they actually increased the trade value of some of their veterans, right, in the bottom six, because a lot of them did show up and play really well. Look at how the Canucks dominated Vegas in St. Louis in the faceoff circle. Teams are going to value that. The Sutter, Beagle, like those guys that you can bring in, and not a lot of term left on there. It just doesn't line up well for the Canucks because we've got Patterson and Hughes to re-sign uh, to extensions next year. Uh, who knows what those guys are going to cost, plus trying to better your team. Uh, if I'm, you know, I mean, we've heard Edmonton, we've talked about Edmonton, but I've I've heard rumors about them looking at Brandon Sutter and, and guys like that where it brings veteran leadership and all the things that attracted Benning to them in the first place. They kind of finally had the opportunity in the stage to sh- to provide that value and to showcase it. And for the most part, they did, right? Like, you can blame a lot of things on fatigue and stuff in the Vegas series. And I, to me, their value's gone up from negative to actually tradable. Sutter, 4.3 left, one more year. That's very similar to Jake Allen's contract, who just got moved as well. So it isn't unmovable. He has a modified no trade, um, but he is also UFA after this year. He's a guy that personally I would have thought would be a buyout candidate as well, um, just because it is decent it would save you over two million dollars in the books next year the year after that it's a 1.16 cap hit so it's kind of similar to the the ryan spooner i've looked into the myers buyout before it's pretty ugly if we're to to buy him out i think it's year four there uh where it really is a bad hit on the the canucks but it's not a a good one unfortunately um another guy who could be uh jordy ben and the left side is crowded it would be you'd save over a million and then the year after that it's only half a million so it's another guy that you you could look at doing uh doug or brayden what do you guys think of the buyout situation well i think you know i think supporting sean here i think the canucks are going to do whatever they can to try to trade some of some assets i just i'm not really sure what there is out there who's going to be interested in players that we're going to want to trade away um especially the ones that are you know not doing too well for us and you know taking up too much cap like brandon sutter or jay beagle but um i would i'd put my money on them uh if they had to buy it it'd be it'd be brandon sutter he's one of the guys that that actually makes sense like you, you look into the erickson situation it only really saves you about five hundred thousand, so that's not gonna that's not gonna do you anything. You gotta you gotta buy out Sutter. I think he's the kind of the only one that makes sense. It's not gonna be Erickson and Tyler Myers. Sorry, the other guy. You just you're not gonna you're not gonna buy him out. They, they just signed him to a five year deal. Uh, he's yeah. played one of those years, and he's your only right side D man. I mean, he was pretty bad in in certain situations, but he was also pretty good in others. That's just not gonna happen. So for me, it's Brandon Sutter. I also think the big thing is ownership. Ownership is slowly starting to show that money is a concern for them. Uh, they could have, the Canucks could have, to, and there was a lot of people on Twitter mentioning this, they could have traded for Lu, uh, Roberto Luongo's rights to get out of the cap recapture penalty, right? But they didn't do that. 
Uh, ownership definitely seems to be kind of counting their pennies at the moment. I don't see them buying anyone out on a long-term contract. And when I say long-term, I mean one-plus year. Brandon Sutter might be a guy they would consider buying out, but even then, I don't know if they will. Uh, maybe you can trade Sutter. There, like you, like Sean said, there are some teams that you know could theoretically use a guy like Sutter on their third line. Um, I don't know if there's anyone on the team. The only guy that I think might make sense, like you said, Pete, is Jordy Ben. I think he's one guy that you know Green didn't really play down the stretch, and for whatever reason, he just didn't seem to kind of fit in with this team. You'd save a decent amount of money on him, and a guy like Erickson, you save more money by sending him to the minors than you do buying him out. So to me, whether or not the Canucks are going to do that, uh, that would be the route you would take with him. I guess the other guy is uh, Sven Berchi as well. He might be another buyout Camp, candidate. I, I honestly forget about Berchi all the damn time. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about that one. Berchi yeah. is, a, is a good one. He's 1.76 uh, on the cap next year if he was to get bought out, and then 800000 the year after that as well. I think that's probably the most realistic so one. So there honest. could be something there. The Canucks overall, after next season, the 2021 season, there's $20.2 million in roster players and uh, the Ryan Spooner situation and Sven Berchi situations. That come off the book, but we also know that twenty point two million is pretty much all all allotted to to PD and Hughes. The year after that, there's fifteen million coming off the books as well. Um, and but again, who knows where the team's going to be at with that? With more guys coming off of entry level deals, it, it, so it, it it over the next two years, you lose all this baggage that we're talking about, with the exception of Tyler Myers and 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 how we all feel about Tyler Myers. Hey, maybe he'll get picked up by Seattle. Who knows, right? But uh, that's the dream. Man. <laughs> that's the dream. Um, so with all that said, looking towards next year, what what is going to be the changes? What what changes do you guys want to see? What uh, there's there's contracts, there's there's UFAs, there's holes on the right side, there's um, what proved to be a lack of scoring in the bottom six. Um, Braden, I'll bounce this to you first. What would you like to see addressed and changed for next year? I mean, I got to think about that to be honest. Um... But the one thing, the one thing that stands out for me would probably be like how much we seem to be hemmed in our own end in the playoffs this year. Um, we seem to struggle, especially against Vegas, uh, getting up the ice and having control of the puck. I think for most of the games throughout the playoffs, we were outshot. Um, so I mean, I think the team needs to to make some changes on on the back end, and um, yeah. Yeah, we got to get away from this kind of defensive defenseman, like five of six of those guys being that. And then we have Quinn Hughes, right? Like, I know there's a lot of people that think that we don't really have room for an offensive defenseman because we've got Hughes, but we need to fix our transition game like real quick because once we get logged down into our, our defensive zone, there's just no escaping it until markstrom or demko stop play and we can win a face off and get out and that is that's brutal as we saw like you can't be outshot that grotesquely through a series and think that you have a chance to escape right like aside from absolutely superhuman goaltending there was no way that vancouver was even competing with vegas and if we want to continue to make the next step forward and the next step after that we have to be able to get the puck in transition to guys like Pedersen, uh, Horvat, uh, to Foley if he's still around, hopefully Besser. Like we got to get it to those guys, and like it, it also goes like that. That can be said about the bottom six as well, right? Like they 
They like to kind of hunker down, block shots. We got to kind of switch out of that mentality only and be able to be a quick transition team going the other way. Like as much as it's nice to to have a team that can kind of lock things down in their own zone, why why are we doing that from the second minute of the game, right? Like we're not defending a lead. <laughs> we need to be actually going and chasing play and, and taking it to them, not just having the game hit you. Yeah, it was, it was honestly mind-blowing to me. I felt watching the Vegas series especially how much faster they were on the puck like they were absolutely relentless yeah. they made the canucks look like a peewee team out there uh, it was it was mind-blowing like and it's just i don't understand how they can be that much better like they literally made the canucks look terrible. zone, zone terrible. exits on the canucks side the canucks just couldn't exit the zone because uh, every Vegas aspect was fast. and then it goes back to the puck moving defenseman and, and how you transition uh i honestly again uh, i think this is a big uh case for Oli levy on the team because mm-hmm. he does have an excellent first pass um and we we've seen that um at I think the transition game is huge. I do think they need another offensive defenseman. I don't think Tyler Myers is the solution or Alex Edler on the, the second unit power play. Um, Doug, what do you think, though, in terms of next year? What would you really like to see changed for the team? Uh, honestly, this is sort of a similar thing but different. Uh, we need to change our entry on the power play. The amount of back passes that just, and again, like I saw Bieksa actually explain it because he played under Noel Brown during his tenure with the Canucks. And he said the idea of the back pass is then the forward or the defenseman, whoever you're passing it to, they're skating up with all this speed to try to catch the defenders flat footed. But the amount of times that whoever had the puck was going slower than the guy that turns around to give them the back pass it just that entry was so mind-boggling and it was like once they got in there and they could start setting up that's when you saw the Canucks power play actually start producing so for me that was a that needs to be addressed I mean Pete and I bitched about it all year during our podcast about the back pass and how much we hate it because it's not working and again maybe it works against some teams but it doesn't work against every team and that's why good coaching in any sport, they always adapt to their opponent. And they realize, okay, no, they're putting, they're standing three guys up at the blue line, preventing us from getting in. We need to adjust and say, okay, let's just bang it in off the boards and dump and chase. Well, I agree. And I like, I'm, I'm surprised I'm not like full Steve Martin gray hair right now uh, from watching <laughs> the drop pass all season. The thing for me is like, you see it work from time to time. First off, it's got to be in Pedersen's hands. If, if you're going to pick one guy to drive with speed into the zone, pick Pedersen. Enough of Horvat, um, any Besser, like those guys don't have the speed or the hands in combination to actually enter the zone um, effectively. Every time Pedersen had it, it's deep in the zone and they're getting set up. I don't know why that's not a go-to. Second of all, I think that you need to have that as one of maybe three zone entries on the power play that you can utilize instead of that's the go-to and that's we don't know what we're doing if we're not doing the drop pass and god forbid we don't come to a complete stop on a dime at the blue line and pass it three zones back uh to me they've got to have a couple different variations so that they can change it up on teams so they don't just plan for it um we've seen vegas trap them really well as far as how to stop that zone entry and 
like there's a reason why the power play was abysmal in that series and it was because they could never get into the zone and they could never get set up every time they would get it in they would clog on them um they would really pressure the puck carrier and get it out every single time and that just can't happen on your power play. yeah for one of the one of the best power plays overall in the league like they're operated about 25 percent throughout the season it would be it, it'd be crazy to to know what they could do if they could actually get the puck into the zone more often than not i mean you're kind of really hoping on you know winning that first face off which the canucks are good at because you get you know the draw in the offensive zone there and then obviously you want the goalie to be covering it but when we're like you said when we're struggling every time to get through that blue line to penetrate the blue line it's terrible because you got one guy coming in he's usually actually kind of slow and then you got four guys waiting just standing at the blue line which is no speed either so yeah something's got to change and especially when you play a team seven times or six times is the case with the blues they learn your patterns they learn your zone entries and if you're i know the canucks towards the end of the vegas series they finally tried to mix it up a bit but during a regular season when you're playing teams uh, every other night maybe you'll play a team and then you don't see them for two months you you can catch them with that move and you can have games where you're three for five on the power play like I went to two Predators games this year, and I think the Canucks scored a total of like nine pl- uh, power play goals or something in those two games that I saw. Like they they whooped uh, the Preds. Yeah, the Preds <laughs> just the Preds just couldn't figure it out, and uh, it, it's different in that that context. But when you're playing a team that plays a system and plays their own zone and and plays the neutral zone well, and they they learn this, it doesn't work. And yes, uh, the drop pass drives me crazy, but it drives you even more crazy when you see a team has figured it out and you haven't made the adjustments with that. And I think that where the frustration really comes in is you see the weapons that the Canucks have and you know what they can do on the power play. Like this is a team that can have a Tampa Bay or peak Washington Capitals-esque power play. Like you have the big shot, you've got the bumper players, you've got the guys that crash the net, you've got an elite, elite power play quarterback. Like this is a team that should just be exploiting people on the power play night in and night out. And we want to see that. We want to see that, but they have to get into the zone. And if you can't get into the zone and get set up, there's, there's none of that. Everything that follows doesn't happen. And, I mean, we've seen what Tampa does to teams on their power play. It's it's embarrassing. Uh, we've seen Washington go all the way to a cup and win a cup with the Ovechkin slap shot right at the top circle, right? And, and Canucks have those weapons. It's just a matter of how do we get the puck to them how do we get it to them in, in the right spots and, and properly execute that power play? Doug, I think you touched a nerve there. Everyone's feeling the same thing about the power play. <laughs> well, and I think Sean brought up a really good point. Like you should have three different looks at getting, gaining the entry, uh, the zone entry there. And to me, that's the thing is you're just, it's like you're repeating the same mistake. It's like Homer Simpson pushing the button, getting shocked every time and expecting a different result. It's like, that's not what's going to happen here, man. Um, for me, that that was a fun, fundamental flaw in the Canucks game plan, especially like you say, Pete, when you're playing a team once every couple of months, sure, that, that works relatively uh, with consistency. But when you're playing a team six, seven games in a row, they're going to catch on to what you're doing, especially if you're just doing the same thing over and over and over again. It was It was crazy to see that, you know, they thought over and over that they could eventually penetrate the line but at the same time they were absolutely gassed like they had nothing left in that series 
and it showed. Like, you need to find a new way to get into the zone. I mean, what was it, a five-minute major, and they had one shot on goal. Um, I've never been so like, angry. That was, like, that's, <laughs> you, you get the power <laughs> you get the power play, and I start thinking, holy crap, this this feels a lot like last year when Vegas lost to, to San Jose. Like, they must be shaking in their boots right now. Like, let's figure this out. This is our chance. And what does Vancouver do? They five minute major and they get one shot on goal. Like that's supposed to be your bread and butter. And they just, it was a failure. So, I mean, I, it, it has to do with the fact that they didn't have any gas left in the tank. So, I mean, that's that. When you're receiving play every like five seconds, right? Like Vancouver was stuck in this perpetuated circle of, okay, we finally got the puck in the defensive zone. We're so gassed flip into the neutral zone line change and then by that point there's no pressure right and bx had touched on this right there's no pressure they just scoop back they don't even look for a four checker because there's no four checker there and they just scoop it up and they turn back the other way new recruits are now ready to receive the play again they get it taken to them they get gassed same thing flip and that's that to me was so frustrating to watch because it was they were so tired there was no way to break the cycle and t- unless you kind of called a timeout, try to calm your guys down, get some energy back in and try to, you know, forecheck <laughs> the other way. But it was it was difficult. And that's where the transition game needs to come in to play is there needs to be an actual plan for when you actually when you make the stop, you get the puck. It cannot be just this lob into no man's land for them to just rally back and pick up and continue where they left off. And otherwise you're just on this infinite penalty kill. And that's ultimately what the last three games against Vegas felt like was just this 60 minute uh, penalty kill. And there's no way to, to go from there. You're playing defense is so exhausting. Like I don't know like how many people listening have, have actually played but if you're hemmed in your own zone, that is freaking exhausting and is way t- more tiresome than playing offense. And you need your guys playing in the in the offensive zone way more. Yeah, and there was long stretches in that series where the Canucks didn't cross center. And uh, BX did touch on that really well as well. But you, every Canucks fan knew it. It's just like, hang on, get the puck out, get the puck out. Okay, change. And by the time you change, Vegas is already coming at you again full steam with a fresh line do the same thing and and you saw the offensive zone possession stats uh, the shot attempts i mean we know the better team won um but i don't want to i don't want to end this episode on us just shitting on the power play here and and our transition (laughs) zone it was frustrating we know that um but there were positives throughout this playoffs thatcher demko emerged down the stretch as as the latest one um, just, uh, just to kind of round out the episode here before we kind of go into our final thoughts and, and plugs to finish this thing off. Uh, what is for you guys one distinct memory? I mean, we touched on uh, the Canucks doing things, uh, there, there's, could be plays, there could be certain things, but what, what is a uh, one memory that, or just thought that you're going to attach to this season? Um, Doug is, as co-host giving you that difficult task first to kind of nail it down to one. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's a that's a good question. Uh, for me, I would say one one of the memories I had this year that kind of really sticks out for me 
uh, and again, it's it's too easy. But uh, it, it, Quinn Hughes, and just that there was the one game I believe where he, he had a three point nine. I think he had a goal and two assists. It was like relatively early in the season. Uh, and I knew everyone knew Quinn was going to make the team this year. I think there was no doubt that Quinn was going to make the team, but I don't think anyone thought he was going to have that kind of an impact on the team. And I've made this comment before that I think Quinn Hughes actually had a greater impact his rookie season on the Canucks than Petey did in his rookie season. And I'm not saying that Petey didn't have an amazing impact on the team because he did. Uh, but I forget who they were playing, but there was the one game, uh, where he was like, it was the first time he had like a huge game where he had a goal and two assists and it was just like, wow. And you know, you just collectively looked around and you're like, holy cow, like we, we have our franchise superstar defenseman who could, you know, be at least nominated for a Norris trophy for the next 10 plus years. I'm not saying he'll ever win one, uh, you know, especially with the young defenseman coming up at the moment. But, uh, you know, just to have a guy in the conversation year in, year out, who's also a year younger than a lot of the top elite guys. You know, he's younger than Makar. He's younger than Heiskanen. He's younger than Adam Fox. Uh, to me, that's that's the one point that really stands out this year. Yeah, that's a good one. And as far as I can remember, I don't think a Canuck has ever been nominated for a Norris Trophy. I, I can't think of anybody. Uh, if can Oland anyone... was robbed one year. He mm-hmm. should have got nominated. But no, we haven't really. No. We've never had a... The one major trophy, uh, I think, that's always eluded us. Besides the Stanley Cup. We're, we're, we're not, we're, Doug, we're trying to, we're trying to be positive here towards the end here. Uh, come on, man. We're going to have to, we're going to have to start this all over again. <laughs> Braden, uh, actually just quickly on a funny note with that. Um, I, uh, I did um, a video call with my niece and nephew. They live in Scotland and my, my nephew has by my, my hand, of course, become a Canucks fan over there. And he asked what I'm doing today. I said, Oh, we're recording our, our Canucks podcast. He's like, Do you talk about how sad it is that the Canucks have never won a, a championship on that one? I'm like, No, we don't talk about that. But Leo, and you're listening to this now. Hey, uh, you're right. We do talk about that as well. Um, Braden, though, to you, uh, one kind of takeaway from this 2019 2020 season. Like a takeaway or just kind of like a favorite yeah, moment? Well, either one. It's 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 open floor. Whatever. Okay. You um. I'll just go with kind of more of a personal kind of moment that I really enjoyed. Um. First of all, I don't want to take away from what Sean said at the beginning of the episode, but the way they, the way they marketed their games was incredible. Um. I was a huge fan of Sedin Knight, but uh, also I was a huge fan of Burroughs Knight because uh, I got to go to the game with you guys. Um. You know, won the tickets from your show, which was super cool. Uh, came down, you know, we, we had some drinks and some food before the game, and then we watched a 5-2, 5-2 win, uh, Roussel's first game back, and it, the energy in the building was awesome, you know, meeting you guys was great, seeing Burroughs on the ice was really cool, so for me, that'd be my favorite moment of the year, but if I had to have a takeaway, um, I mean, it would probably be the fact that uh, JT Miller, you kind of, you know, shut up all the doubters about that trade, and he just broke through as a 200-foot player in every aspect, um, you know, led the team in points. Uh, face-off machine was the perfect was the perfect fit on the top line, the 649 line. So I'm, I'm happy with JT Miller as well. Thank you for mentioning them. We've talked for over an hour, and we didn't uh, really even touch on what JT Miller brought to this team. I mean, there's there's a, he deserves a whole episode on on what he did as well. But uh, yeah, I think I think that trade has worked out pretty well for us. Sean, over to you. Uh, I'm going to pick my favorite moment first. And I, whenever I think about this, it just brings a smile to my face, which is why it's my favorite is 
when Bo Horvat scored that overtime goal on Bennington and they talked to him in the, in the, after the game and they're like, well, you've scored a few goals this series. Uh, you went blocker side on all of them. What made you go five hole? And he, he just kind of gets that little smirk and he's like, well, I figured he's probably getting on to, onto that. So you, you know what? I love to see that swagger uh, from a captain. And in his first season, I think the pressure of being captain when you're when you're captain of a team like Vancouver that has had this long legacy of really great captains, um, I mean, will there there are unmentionables in there as well. But when you when you see Marcus Naslin, Luongo, Henrik Sedin, Trevor Linden, like you see this this long line of fantastic uh, captains, there's a lot of pressure that's added to that, especially since there's only seven NHL teams in Canada you got one of the the captain spots for it there's a lot of leadership responsibility there and I think that pressure got to Horvat to start the season um, but he really came into his own and in that moment it felt like this was this was the guy that we had made captain and this is the guy that's going to lead us for the rest of the way and he's probably going to go down as one of if not the greatest captain we've had which is a pretty hot take but if the Canucks have the success that we all think they're going to have, if he's the one being handed the Stanley Cup first, does that not make him the best captain we've ever had? Um, and I and I honestly, I see that happening. I, I do. And that's maybe that's just pure raw optimism on my part. But I, I honestly see it. And in that moment, it felt like we can kind of see that glimpse of, of the future and that it was here. And that was such a special moment there. Yeah, well, I like I like the ending with some raw optimism there. Uh, for me, um, one of it, it, you know, it, it felt like two seasons, obviously this year. So I'm just gonna kind of uh, do two different things here. Um, Kevin BX's speech at the City Night uh, that was right up there for me. That was fantastic, Doug. We were at that game. Um, that was amazing. It feels like seven years ago, but it was still part of this season. Um, favorite play this year. I mean, uh, that Bo Horvat shorty against St. Louis was something else, but my biggest takeaway from all of this year, uh, you, you talked about Hughes, Doug, but for me, it's, uh, Pedersen and, uh, what he's done with his game, how he's legitimized himself as a superstar center in this league, a superstar two-way center, the Pavel Datsuk comparisons with hints of Peter Forsberg and Wayne Gretzky. You hear about that it's like well you know what i'll take that out of my first line center you're getting compared to different traits of your game to those he's a very likable player i love that little glove toss back in the, the vegas series as well um and again it's the new face of the canucks you mentioned bo leading the team you mentioned hughes driving the blue line uh pd up front uh, there's a lot to like about this team moving forward really proud of the team and really proud of all of us for uh, getting through this episode guys uh Braden and sean thank you very much for joining us i'm glad that this worked out for our special episode 50 doug it's great to get you in the same room as well um let's uh quickly do a couple plugs around the horn here Braden, once more what, what's going on in your life uh, what should, where can people find your next things coming out here yeah um i'm not sure how much i'm going to be writing moving forward with school um it's going to be pretty uh, full tilt with uh, school going on, so I'm, I'm going to try to stick on as the site expert at the Canuck Way, uh, so you can look for my stuff there. Um, but I've also, like I said earlier, I'm now writing for Nux Misconduct, so my first article will be dropping this week, so look for that. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. 
Thanks a lot, Braden. And Sean, yourself, you're, you're a busy guy as well. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, going into off-season, we've got lots of plans that we, we want to do with Area 51 Hockey. So you can follow us at Area 51 Hockey on pretty much any platform. Um, we've got quite an active social media team, so we've been busy there. Um, so just kind of gearing up for more regular episodes. Uh, it's difficult when you've got a team playing five games in seven nights to plan episodes and uh, have them actually be relevant for more than three hours. But uh, just kind of excited to jump into that. Obviously a lot to dissect from what's going to happen going forward here, some big decisions. So um, hoping to do some new things there as well. Um, we've launched the website. Uh, and uh, then, of course, uh, Canucks Army. I plan on doing a little bit more writing there, um, but definitely not uh, anywhere near Braden's torrent pace this season. <laughs> but uh, I'll be periodically dropping some articles there as well. Awesome. Thanks, man. Sean, you can find on Twitter at SeanYeWest234. Braden is BKUrsel at BKUrsel23. Yep, that's it. That's one. But I also forgot to mention quickly, I don't know how I did it. I forgot to talk about your boys are, yeah, podcast. Yeah, I was going to say your boys are going <laughs> to be Ryan like... Ken are going to be too happy about where, that. Where's the love? Uh, so yeah, you can find uh, our podcast, the PP1 Podcast. Kind of like PP, yeah. Uh, Ryan came up with that name. Uh, we're... I don't know what episode we're on now because we did a bunch of post games. So all the wins we got, we had post games for that. So technically episode fifty-four, but we got about sixty-five episodes or so. So yeah, PP One Podcast you can find us anywhere. Our, our expansion cousins and uh, Area Fifty One was around the same time as us as well. So all kind of in the same vein. Uh, you can find me, Pete underscore Gas. We have the podcast at Canuck Speak as well on the Twitter machine. Uh, give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And as always, the funky jam you're hearing right now will be added to our Canucks Speakeasy Spotify outro playlist. Give that a follow as well. Uh, and as always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego. <laughs>